Hi, and welcome to my corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin, and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable. Here we go. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. All right. Today's podcast. Okay. Now, first off, let me just say, I know you guys are used to me, uh, you know, talking about sponsors that are not real, but uh, we have a real sponsor today. So take me seriously. I mean it. Okay. Here it is. <laughs> today's podcast is brought to you by thejoyfulbean.com. It's one of the few places you can actually get authentic Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee. Some of their brews include a smooth and rich after dinner blend called Oak City Sunset Roast and. You can get Sparky Shine, which is a light to medium blend combining three estate coffees. You gotta love a good cup of Joe. I don't know if that last part is their slogan, but that's what I just made up. You gotta love a good cup of Joe. Today's guest is founder of Grace United Urban Ministries, Mr. Wayne Hines. Wayne, how are you? I'm great. Top of the world. Yeah, right? Man, you sound good in this mic. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more of you in this microphone, or any mic for that matter. It's amazing what a good mic will do. I'll tell you what. So let me ask you this question before we get too deep into life and stuff. How has uh, COVID-19 kind of affected your world in uh, ministry and then just personally? Oh, man, it's been crazy. Um, The first thing that happened is uh, COVID came along and economy started shutting down and shelters in Oklahoma City had to close. Mm. like the day center in Oklahoma city where bulk of the folks that we serve, um, get meals, get showers, get, uh, some clothing, get haircuts, uh, lock the doors, uh, put everybody out, handed one meal a day out and a to go container out the back door. Wow. And so we picked up, uh, at the same time, uh, we have Clarabelle's restaurant in McLeod. And if you haven't been there, you need to get there. Shame, yeah. Shameless plug. Hey, not Shane. It's good. <laughs> best German food I've had in a long time. Oh, man. Maybe thank you. ever, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. I got the best German red cabbage in the state of Oklahoma. That I do not know. That's doubt. what I tell people. <laughs> but um, anyway, we got we got shut down for dining room service. So we had to go to carry out to the curb only. And uh, that greatly affected business, obviously. And uh, we have a lot of older customer base. So those folks are more scared to get out, even to get takeout food. So our, our business dropped at the same time. Uh, we stepped up our efforts. We were uh, feeding and clothing every Sunday uh, afternoon. And so we immediately went to Saturdays and we also went to Wednesdays. And uh, of course, those folks that are getting showers at the at the day center uh, had been three weeks without a shower. We went and rented motel rooms on the south side of Oklahoma City. Wow transported folks from the day center at third and Virginia to the South side. Um, it's about a 20 minute drive probably, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, at least. And, uh, so you got, uh, you got a guy's sh- shower room and a girl's shower room. And, and so they got a complete change of clothes, head to toe, um, got their personal care <clears throat> products to groom shower with, uh, got a clean towel and, uh, felt great. Yeah. So this is the thing, um, for those of you who don't, don't know, we will get into this, but Grace uh, United Urban Ministries, or as we like to say, GUM, yes. right? Yes. Uh, is a ministry to the homeless, and uh, 
And I know that at Clarabelle's, the restaurant you've been feeding the homeless out of out of that restaurant yes. and through this ministry for, what, 12, 13 years now? We've been doing it plus 10 now. Okay, plus, plus 10. Plus 10. Um, of course, uh, we'll probably get into after a while how we got started into all this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we've been, we've been serving Oklahoma City uh, 10 years. We've been serving McLeod uh, for longer than that. Um, and that, and that's Don and I's background, yeah. um, not necessarily homeless people, but, uh, outreach ministry to people that, uh, are in grave need. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we will get into that, but I want to start with, uh, with you a little bit. Let's get, uh, get to know the man behind Wayne Hines oh my. who started as a child. As a child. <laughs> I assume wow. unless you're Benjamin Buttons, maybe, maybe no, that's no, no, <laughs> no. Uh, well, we can start here. I was a miracle baby. Amen. Let's, let's hear about that. Uh, my mom was a deathbed asthmatic when I was born. Um, and actually when I was born, uh, just prior to being born, she was, uh, on her aunt's back porch and fell off the back porch, broke her ankle. Wow. And, uh, so I was born, uh, two, two and a half months early in that danger realm and, uh, was born five pounds, four ounces after she was in labor under an oxygen tent for 72 hours. Wow. The doctor called uh, my father, said, uh, you need to uh, bring your pastor, priest, or uh, rabbi with you, whatever your religious preference is, so that if we can save one, you can decide with their help which one we should try to save. Wow. Uh, My mother lived, I lived, my father's uh, word to the doctor was, I don't plan to make any decision. They're both going to live. Hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm glad he prophesied that. Amen. Um, yeah, you don't look like a preemie today. No, no, six no. Foot, six foot 100, something like that. 6'3", uh, <laughs> 264. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Heavy on the 264 probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, day or two later, I weighed four pounds, three ounces, because I had to... Uh, um, become unaddicted to my mother's asthma medication. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, uh, that was the beginning of life. Where was that at? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So uh, I'm a, I'm a German boy from a European uh, ethnic uh, area of the country predominantly. And uh, we lived on the north side of Milwaukee uh, in my actual elementary years, uh, attended an Assembly of God church in a sleepy Jewish community on the south side of Milwaukee uh, that at one point had been a German-speaking only church. Oh, wow. And not too many years before uh, I was born, it went to all English. Uh, It used to be that the the German services were upstairs and the English services were downstairs, and then as things progressed, uh, it was English upstairs and German downstairs. But uh, nobody in Oklahoma would understand anybody who spoke right <laughs> that form of English right as, that I grew yeah. up in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, interesting as as a child, um, I was I was the oldest in my family. I got two sisters, uh, each about six years and then another six years apart, roughly. 
And uh, so I spent a lot of time at home with my mother as my mother's caretaker, mm-hmm. uh, unless my grandma B was with us. And um, at a very young age, I had to learn to lay hands on my mother and pray and trust God that she would live for my father to get home. Wow. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, honestly, I would rather have a child praying for me than anyone else. Uh, so right. Yeah. So right. Uh, at at four years old, I uh, was was already trained and for the first time went and got the uh, phone with the long cord on the wall. Yeah. Now you're telling how long yeah, ago this is, say, right? We, we got Phones that. with cords and on the wall. Uh, it was long enough to reach from the dining area through the kitchen where I could uh, see through the hallway into my mom's bedroom where she was sitting on the edge of the bed. Um, back then, we didn't have direct dial numbers. So you're in a situation where you call Alan Bradley and you get an operator and you say, I need the ferrite building. And you get the ferrite building and you say, I need the third floor. You get the third floor operator. You say, I need quality control. You get the quality control operator. You see, you say, I need my dad, Wayne Hines. Wow. At four, I was trained wow. to do that and did it for the first time. My dad comes to the phone and I say, uh, dad, mom's dying. You need to come home. Mm. So to a certain extent, I, I never really had a regular childhood. Yeah, I, I was an adult, uh, very young. In fact, um, uh, I don't remember the exact day, but as my dad tells me the story or did tell me the story, um, I, I can plainly remember the setting at four years old, uh, living room floor, second floor of a duplex, a uh, little Jewish couple that uh, owned the, the building and lived downstairs um, with the concept in the back of my mind that, that my mom could die. Dad, what's going to happen to mom? Mm. And that's when I came to know Christ. Wow. Four years old, living room floor, questioning what happened when we die. Hmm. So, man, that's that's powerful. Strange, strange childhood. Yeah. How do you think? Uh, like, have you spent some time processing what that how that's affected you as an adult? Um. Well, so many things in my childhood have affected my adulthood. Um, I mean, I imagine some of it we were grateful for, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've always, I've always been that person that was ready to jump in the action to take care of somebody. And so that, you know, that's bred into you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bred into you by, by the kind of people my mom and dad were, but it's, it's bred into you and in that family culture, that, that, that dynamic that you grow up in. And, uh, you know, everything that I do today, uh, or pretty much is, is rooted in, in my family dynamic. So, wow. um, my, my, my father, um, was a son of a dairy family, uh, 50 miles Northwest of Green Bay, Wisconsin, way up where it gets really cold. The pine trees grow 80 feet tall, Mm. uh, straight as an arrow. The water comes out of the ground, crystal clear. Uh, but everything smells like cow gas. <laughs> uh, but if you live there, you don't know that. Mm. 
And uh, their little church that uh, they went to, uh, when my father went as a, uh, I don't, kindergarten as I remember it, uh, age young man, uh, to homestead the farm, uh, his mother and, and older sister would come uh, a year later. Uh, when when the whole family was gathered together, there were there were two Lutheran families that that there was no church to go to. So they had prayer meeting at each other's house and alternated from farmhouse to farmhouse each week. And, and out of that grew the, the uh, Gillette First Assembly, which is now Hillside Assembly of God Church, uh, founded in their, in their living room at the sofa. And that's where my father came to met the Lord. Hmm. Uh, later, when my mom and dad were married, uh, they would be stationed at Randolph Air Force Base and would help a young couple uh, start a church in a warehouse for servicemen. And my dad would go early and set up folding chairs and sound equipment and then go back and get my mom and bring her back. And uh, so hence, uh, we get to Oklahoma in uh, 75 and in 76, uh, Evangelistic Center Church, which is between uh, Shawnee and Tecumseh on Highway 177. I know right where that's uh, at. Those, those constitution and bylaws were written at my mom and dad's kitchen table. Wow. And uh, I was 16 years old in the living room listening to those discussions in the kitchen table. And uh, later, Don and I would go on to start Grace Point Church. It's in McLeod that we've been pastoring for, I don't know, 11-ish years or so now. So... Uh, it, it's interesting how your your family dynamic uh, affects who you are and who you become, and and how much of your family dynamic you go on to reproduce. You know, mm-hmm. you you either embrace it or or you refuse it. Uh, there's not a whole lot in the middle. You know. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I embrace that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I want to back up a little bit. You you said you met Jesus when you were four in that living room floor. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that just a little bit deeper because I think that it's it's a profound thing. And the reason I ask this question is I remember being as a very young age, um, uh, probably in that same age group, maybe between three and six, I'll say. Okay. Um, but I remember, you know, I was as a kid, I was sitting there taking a bath and I was looking at my hand. And I remember thinking, this is weird. Like, why do I have five fingers instead of six? You know, just oh, processing wow. the idea of being made. And it, that, and this is why I think it's so significant because I wasn't raised in church. We didn't talk about church much. My, hmm. my, I remember my mom um, prayed, you know, from time to time at that point. Now, since then, I mean, we both obviously walk with the Lord, but or not obviously for her, <laughs> but, mm. but in any case, I mean, she does. So, um, but I remember then, you know, thinking, well, why am I made the way that I am and really questioning this? And I never once considered I was randomly made <laughs> or wow. random. I knew I was created. And, mm. uh, and so I'm curious to see, and just so I'm clear, cause I'm sure my mom's going to listen to this. My mom knew Jesus. <laughs> She's going to call me. <laughs> why are you saying that? She knows him now. She's always known him as far as I've been alive, but we didn't go to church. Um, so clear that up. So mom, I'm sorry. In case you're, in case you're listening. Um, no, but, but I do, I'm interested in how that played out for you at that age. Um, man, um, you know, when, when, when you're in church sort of born under the pew, so to speak, uh, you're there every time the door opens, your, your, your parents are in leadership. Uh, uh, I, I never had, 
I never had, um, how do I want to say it? Um, that, that's all I knew. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was a blank canvas and, and everything was poured into me. So, uh, I was the model Sunday school student. Uh, my, my father used to teach, um, uh, Sunday school worker training programs and Christian education, um, things that he'd take his vacation, go to Northwestern Bible college in Minneapolis and teach for a week or two, uh, during his vacation. He was a state Sunday school superintendent everywhere. Oldest child. If, if, if my grandmother came and stayed with my mother, I went with my father. So at an early age, you know, four and five years old, I'm, I'm, I'm packing packets of, of handouts Mm. and, and, uh, uh, the, 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 um, folding chairs are, are set up in the living room and the, and the pieces are coming out. Remember the old round drum mimeograph machines are you yeah, as old as I am? I, I know uh, that much. That you get high on the, on the smell. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, you got, you got 30 sets come off and, and you got to do a page at a time. And, and so you go lay your, your 30 sheets down and, and the next ones come off and, and then dad staples them so they can be straight in a decent packet. And we get there and, and I help haul in the boxes of microphones and, and the stands and, and the packets. And, and I'm responsible to hand the packets out and, mm. you know, people who, who are listening, aren't being able to see me do the motions. Of handing <laughs> the, it's just automatic. Sure. Yeah. You start talking about it. You go all I, the way I, back. I'm reenacting what I'm talking about right now. Um, so, so, you know, my, my life was, was, um, uh, every, everything was, was ministry within the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, I, I didn't know anything else, never questioned anything else. Um, you know, Sunday morning, uh, I, I got every gold star there was, I, I was present. I had an offering. I knew my Bible verse, had my quarterly studied my lesson, um, you know, I want every Bible drill to find the Bible verse first. Um, I, I was, th- I was that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also that one that asked questions like, uh, to Mrs. Gimsky, a uh, large Swedish woman, big bone, tall hair and a silver hair and a bun, uh, brought her mother to church in a wheelchair, uh, dedicated, loving, gentle, kind as can be. A uh, wonderful Sunday school teacher, and I stumped her with the question one Sunday morning: If God is all powerful and He can do anything, can He make a rock so big that even He can't lift? Mm. <laughs> what kind of what kind of uh, I don't even know what? How do you describe that? Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I get it. But I my mind it. pondered. Uh, those kinds of things, uh, you know, I, I grew up in somewhat of a holiness environment, so we didn't listen to secular radio. We didn't, uh, of course, TV was totally different back then. You know, it went off the air after the news Yeah, uh, and the national anthem, of course. Right, right, right. Um, but, you know, my dad would come home and, and if I was watching a, a Western shoot 'em up, I'd turn the TV off because mm. that was violent. You know, nowadays that's the good stuff on TV. Right. right. Um, but um, uh, that that's the environment that I grew up in. So I, I didn't know anything else. Uh, I didn't go and play outside the yard very often because mm-hmm. I always had to be within range either to hear my mother's voice if she hollered for help or to be close enough. I could regularly go check on her. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, even, even my, my playing companions, if you want to play with me, you came to my yard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when Roger stepped on the nail, uh, of the garage my dad was building, uh, where we weren't supposed to be playing. Right. <laughs> um, I, I immediately knew to go and pull his foot off the nail while everybody else froze. Yeah. I, I was just raised in that we, we take care of people. Mm-hmm. We respond to need. And uh, that that's all I knew. You know what's amazing about that? It, you know, I think you can be raised in that, but you can also, even being raised in that, I think it's a choice. And, and that... I think that's unique and and I you know I'm going to commend you cuz I I tend to be the same way so I'll just kind of indirectly commend myself. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think you know moving in action that's not something that people do necessarily because of how they're raised. It's it's innate in them and I think it speaks to a bigger um a bigger calling if you will. I you yes. know I think it gets into leadership and the ability to just absolutely be decisive and make a decision in in that moment, man, that's the difference between life and death. And I think that's what I hear in so much of this, when you you're dealing with your mom like that and you're, you're trained to make life and death decisions instantly because I mean, if you, if you don't move, here's what's certain. If you do nothing, someone's going to die. Yeah. And that's, it sucks, man. I mean, it sucks to have to go through that at such a young age, but on the front end or the, the back end, I should say it serves you well, probably as an adult. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, got some place you want to go, or yeah, go no, if you got, I mean, hey, whatever, man, go for it. Well, uh, eventually we need to get back to Oklahoma. So when when I'm 11, this is the part I wanted to get to earlier. Yeah, uh, my dad and and three or four other young couples uh, lead a a new ministry. You remember back in the uh, late sixties, early seventies was the heyday of the bus ministry. Mm. And it was the advent of children's church. Yep. And, uh, my dad and three or four other young couples, uh, got the church to buy a bus, painted it up, uh, made a bunch of Sesame street, full size character costumes. Uh, of course being AG, we had buddy barrel costume, you know, <laughs> uh, really giving my background away now. Ain't I? Yeah, that's good. And, uh, some Royal Rangers, so, some missionettes uh, coming in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they took their, the, they took their bus down on Saturdays and, uh, went to the, to the ghetto of Milwaukee hmm. outside our little sleepy upper middle-class Jewish church neighborhood, far away from our North side of Milwaukee, uh, new subdivision that, that we lived in. And uh, filled the bus. Back then, you didn't have seatbelts in buses, and you didn't have passenger limits. You only had recommendations, so mm. you could put you could put ninety or hundred kids in a full size bus. Wow! And uh, eventually, we had four full size buses. So our little church of three hundred and fifty folks doubled in size. My goodness! In a year, with ghetto kids downstairs in children's church hmm. uh large percentage 50 percent black and we're all white european ethnic um at 11 i started sitting one or two sundays a month in children's church uh holding kids in my lap putting my around kids helping them get to the bathroom go get a drink uh, encourage him to stand up and sing the songs, um, encourage him to 
to, to sit down and be quiet, to listen to the lesson, uh, laughing at whatever the skit was, uh, helping them with the refreshments. Uh, again, uh, my dad was the leader of that. Uh, I never went into the ghetto with him to sign kids up and get permission from parents to pick up. Uh, but I became a regular in the Sunday portion of that. At 12, I started doing object lessons. Mm. Uh, then my dad would give me the idea and, and teach me what to say. Uh, from that, I would go on to be a children's pastor. Uh, I'd do kids' crusades, youth camps in 14 different states, uh, Philippines, Mexico, uh, seven, eight trips combined, whatever it is. And uh, again... What I was, what I was raised, what my parents did, what my father was, uh, where he walked, I walked. So he's Wayne A, and I'm Wayne A, and I, my my goal in life was to be his duplicate. Mm. And uh, so I'll fast forward. Yeah. Uh, uh, besides, besides doing that here in Oklahoma, uh, I was the administrator at one point at Evangelistic Center Church. And, and they would host the uh, Oklahoma uh, Pentecostal Church of God uh, annual camp meeting because of the size of that facility and, and the gym kitchen facilities and all parking space. Uh, there used to be a brother. Um, I, I assume he's still alive. Last I heard, he had retired to Florida. Uh, very, very plain man. Very simple. Uh, didn't wear fancy three-piece suits. Uh, he has a church at uh, First and McKinley, or did have. It's burned to the ground now. Hmm. Um, little clapboard, white siding, um, poverty-stricken neighborhood. It's 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 a few blocks from the day center where we where we work now. Um, when we when we were doing uh, downtown. Uh, ministry setting up tables and chairs and, and and feeding in that fashion. We used to go to the grassy area behind his church, um, but he would he would drive a big rider truck down and deliver all their sound equipment and all all of the things they needed to do their camp meeting and, and we'd visit. I discovered he had a little short bus, and he had a number of. I mean, most of his congregation was either homeless or poverty-stricken people from that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And Saturday mornings, they'd get together and they'd make little bologna or peanut butter sandwiches because they didn't have money to do nothing else and package up some bags of chips and they had a little sound system installed, a little short bus, had a card table, had some folding chairs, and, and they'd drive around downtown until they found a group of homeless folks. They'd park their bus, set up their table, pull out the chairs, feed them and visit with them, mm. see if they could pray with them. And I'm on staff at a church that has 350, 400 people. Mm -hmm. And we're big into foreign missions. We're on the highway and we're not really involved in our local community. And it, that just, that got me. You talk about something outside the family dynamic that we've been talking about that just puts a mark on you. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't get away from that. And then, and then years later, and not many years later, two, three years later, I'm using the grassy area behind his church, adding to what he does. That's awesome. 
Now he reached a point he got too old to to, to do those things. But uh, from a, from someone outside my family, there's a there's a man I can point to that in his simplicity, in his simplicity, uh, just doing what he was able. Yeah. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't big. It wasn't marketed. He he just did what he could do with what was in his hand. Mm-hmm. But that had an effect on me from a distance that I ended up duplicating what he does. Yeah. See, that's an amazing reality. And and I want to talk, I want to get your take on this because I, I've noticed this same kind of thing that uh, what you just said about world missions versus we'll call it local missions, what's in your backyard. And You know, I think a lot of times we talk in terms of call, you know, when you ask somebody about it, um, say, well, you know, for example, Hey, I want to take a missions trip to, to, you know, Mexico somewhere, or why don't we go do some missions work just down the street? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times what comes up, what I hear is it's a matter of call and I'm not going to really argue that because I can't do that. But I would just say this is that, um, Jesus really didn't take a mission trip. Paul took mission trips, but mm-hmm. Jesus went to the local areas. He as he traveled in his region, um, that's where his ministry really was. And and so I want to get your take. Why do you think uh, there's this bent towards world missions versus local missions? Because I or do you even agree that there is? Uh, I absolutely think there is. Um, and and. I may not sound real nice when I give you my answer. Hey, we're not here to be um, nice. <laughs> to to take an offering and send it somewhere is easy and it really doesn't cost you much. Yeah. When when you put yourself in a vehicle and get out in a neighborhood that is radically outside your comfort zone where your own safety may even be at risk, it costs you something. Uh, it costs you first, you have to answer the question, do I really care enough to do this? Mm. Do I really love enough? Do I have enough compassion to get out of my comfort zone and do something my flesh doesn't want to do? But we give to the United Way. We give to feed the children. We give to, you know, drill water wells in, in Africa. Uh, and, and that's easy, it's popular and everybody does it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you have a missionary or, or you have a slideshow or you get told about someone building a church or an orphanage off in, in Ghana someplace. And yeah, I'll put 20 bucks in. Mm-hmm. Well, you spend, you spend that in lattes at Starbucks, right? That's nothing. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, I will argue with you. Jesus was a missionary. Because he went to Samaria. Well, right. Well, that's one of the things I was going to say. In he that. went to the other side of the tracks, right. where, where where his kind mm-hmm. were not uh, appreciated, uh, not looked at favorably, uh, didn't didn't regularly or in any means associate with each other. Uh, they they were basically enemies. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, not, not to argue the no, point. No, no, no. I hear what you're saying. In fact, but, I was going to bring that up because, okay. because what I was going to, I mean, specifically the Samaritans, because, um, because that's what I saw with Jesus. And one of the things that I've always noted, um, is that the majority of what we read about now, I'm not going to say this is the majority of his ministry because it may not have been cataloged the way we see it, but 
the majority of what we read about is Jesus doing works in his travels on his way somewhere. Yeah. You know, you don't, he doesn't go to this place. Usually where he's going is to teach in the synagogue, you know, from what I've gathered. So, because like even the pool at Bethesda, uh, when he heals that dude, he's sees him later at the, at the temple. Um, when he is feeding the 5,000, he walks across the water that night to go where to the other side to preach in the synagogue. And that's where he tells everybody who he is and they all leave him. And so you see him doing that in Samaria. Um, he's walking through, they're traveling through, they stop at the well. And I think that to me, this is a, this is a moment where we all have the opportunity to actually take this example and say, you know what? We have spent all our time trying to find this destination that God wants us to do ministry in <laughs> versus recognizing ministry as a nonstop, constant reality that is a call on of our life, all of our lives to just simply be and be what he wants us to be and what he wants us to be. You know, if we look at Jesus's model, he says, I do what I see the father do. I say what the father says, so on and so forth. Wow. What a setup. What a setup. <laughs> Um, okay. I, I, I only know one way to say things and that, and that's how I think them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our problem is in, in the modern day church ministry happens inside the four walls. That's a problem. And, and so we go to church to do the work of the ministry. Jesus went to the synagogue, which most Christians associate the synagogue with the Old Testament church. Um, but, but Jesus did ministry seven days a week. He did ministry everywhere he was at. He did ministry in, in, in virtually every, every random association of, of people that, that he crossed paths with. And, and so we do ministry on Sunday mornings from 11 to 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're really traditional old church, we do ministry on Sunday, 11 to 12, Sunday night, six to seven and, and, and Wednesday night from seven to eight. Uh, we had no concept of that, that we represent him. Uh, and, and we are doing what the father wants to do. Uh, Jesus didn't say go into all the churches and preach the gospel, right? <laughs> go into all the nations and preach the gospel and, and nations, uh, you know, means tongues, mm-hmm. uh, going back to Babel and, and tongues being changed and, and different tongues becoming different nations. So we're to go to the different tongues. So if the people on the street speak a different language and you do, that's a nation. Yeah, that's good. If the people at the ballpark preach a different, speak a different tongue, that's a different nation. Mm. If the people who are riding kayaks every Saturday and Sunday down the Oklahoma river speak a different language, that's a different tongue. Mm. We're to go to all the nations. You don't have to go overseas to go to a different nation. Mm. We have, we have no, we have no concept. We we've shut ourselves inside the walls and beg people to come to us and the churches who are begging people to come to them are dying. Yeah, man. It's so funny. I remember thinking when I first got into ministry, I was 19 and, and, uh, and rapidly, you know, turned 20, 21. And through that time frame, I came to that realization. I heard this said so many times, we've got to get people into the church to get them saved. 
Yeah. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Even then, you know, I got saved when I was 16, uh, 15, I guess, and really started walking with the Lord at 16. And I'm thinking to myself, even that, what I've read to this point, we don't get them into the church. We go to them. Every Everything we see is that, in fact, <laughs> let's look at the track record. If we use the synagogue as the church, how did that work out? You know what I'm saying? Even even because you've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these guys, all they wanted to do was kill Jesus based on what he was saying. And when they did want to come to him, you know, thinking about Nicodemus, they come in the, the darkness. They come at night so nobody sees them and they don't, it's not in the synagogue. Yeah, yeah. they, uh, they never really became true followers where they were changed. Yeah. Uh, they just became self-righteous. Um, Would you say that's where we are in the modern church today? Uh, <laughs> Not the, to put the, words in your mouth. <laughs> the, the modern the modern church is in trouble, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to reinvent a new model. Uh, think about it this way, my friend. Uh, a fisherman uh, gets in his boat. He doesn't drop his hook in the boat. Mm. <laughs> he puts bait on his hook and drops it in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when the fish takes the bait, there's a struggle to get the fish in the boat. But when the fish does get in the boat, he doesn't come gutted, cleaned, and stripped. He comes dirty, slimy, bloody, and nasty. Wow. And we literally tell people you can't come into the church unless you're sober. Hmm. Well, you know what? I, I I want the drunk. I want the town drunk come through my door. Yeah. And I don't care if he comes sober or not. I want the town prostitute to walk through my door. And I don't care how she's dressed. And and I want the guy with with his syringe and and the white powder still on his upper lip to walk through my door. But Pastor Wayne, isn't it going to corrupt the the rest of us? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I, it's funny you say that because I shared just, I think it was two Sundays ago with our, with our gathering. Uh, my, my mother used to send me out the door with instructions every Sunday morning, uh, every school day, I mean, to A, wear my coat because I was a sickly child myself and B, not to run around with Nicholas because he was troubled and not get in trouble. <laughs> that darn Nicholas. Okay. Now, now that's a that's that's good motherly wisdom on one hand. Right. But flip that on the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. What happened to teaching our children? What happened to telling our congregations? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Can I can I just say that maybe we don't believe that? I, I really don't. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. Uh, in fact, I go, I go as far as to say we, we, we don't believe that. We absolutely don't believe that. Uh, the, the church, for all intents and purposes, is scared of its own shadow. Mm. And that's why we really only want one or two at a time to come in, and they have to be ready to change when they come. Right. You know, uh, if we believe that, uh, we'd be outside the walls. Uh, we'd be welcoming them to come as they were. And we would train and prepare our people that when they come, this is what you do. So when the town prostitute walks through the door, you get up and go give her a hug. 
and you say, would you like to come sit with me? By the way, you need a cup of coffee before we go sit down. Mm. You know, so so the, the town drunk comes in. Uh, hey, come sit with me. And maybe you're going to go sit where it's a little closer to the restroom than everybody else. But but. You know, you're, you're going to go and make a connection. You're, you're going to go, you're going to go welcome that person. You're going to go show them that there's nothing in the look in my face. There's nothing in the tone of my voice. There's nothing in my body language that says, I don't accept you. I'm not comfortable with you. You're making things awkward. Hey, everything about me says you're in the right place and the right time. Just be at ease. Mm. And, uh, yeah. So. If you're going to go downtown with us, you you have to you have to embrace greater is he that is in me. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I don't tell folks, uh, you know, you don't you don't get out of someone's sight. You don't you don't give someone that's on the street uh, your your personal telephone number. You don't give them your last name. You don't tell them your address. You give them the ministry address. You give them the ministry phone number. We, we stay within eyesight of each other. We use godly wisdom, but we never ever ever walk in fear Mm. when we're there we represent the kingdom of god there is nothing to be afraid of it's his rule and reign that parking lot belongs to jesus when we get there Mm. that's awesome man uh you're gonna have to do the the uh spiritually wounded podcast with me because this is we could have if i just did a different intro we'd be there (laughs) love it (laughs) it's all right let's do it um I want to I want to talk uh, talk about this too because uh, I think your wife Donna is one of the sweetest people on the planet. I, I second that motion. <laughs> All in favor, say aye. 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 It's unanimous. <laughs> so tell me about how you guys met. Well, there, that goes back to uh, wow. Um, I was working for a sign company. I was a general manager uh, of that sign company. I answered the phone most of the time uh, when the phone rang. Uh, Donna had a mortgage company in Oklahoma city, uh, made six figures a year, lived in a nice home, uh, 13th street and Broadway, basically by the Capitol, uh, left everything to move to Shawnee, including the income, Hmm. uh, rented the nursing home facility that is behind the old bowling alley in a not so good area of Shawnee. Started a boys' home for boys who were aging out of foster care and not ready to take care of themselves on the street. Wow. So she calls a sign company. Uh, I need a sign for uh, the fortress. Can you come by and look what's here and see if you can uh, fix something up for me? Uh, uh, Little did I know I'd come under her spell the first time I met her. (laughs) But it took a while to realize that. Um, I went and, and took care of her sign in the process of multiple visits for design, drawing and pricing contracts and installing, um, had multiple opportunities to sit and chat with her and, uh, discovered that, Hey, this is, this is not a, uh, a charitable thing to do. This is a real life changing ministry. So before you know it, I'm, I'm there Saturdays doing Bible studies with the boys. Mm. Um, Next thing you know, I'm, I'm showing up to, with my grill to cook burgers for the boys. Uh, next thing you know, I'm getting the church van and bringing the boys and Donna to the church for service on Sunday. Uh, the next thing you know, DHS tells them, oh, by the way, we run out of funds and we can't fund you no more. Hmm. And so uh, I'm, I'm 
creating a network of folks to bring groceries to keep her open. And when we no longer could keep it open, uh, she finally had to shut down. But by that time, uh, I'd started my own sign company and she's helping me in the sign company. And uh, we just uh, realized one day that we were not just ministry partners and we weren't just work partners. We were life partners and uh, decided to get married. Hmm. That's awesome. Uh, quick story that goes with that. I don't know where we're at in our time schedule here. Eh, whatever. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the first go around, I, I didn't do it right. Um, I'm working in Sulphur, Oklahoma. I come home and tell my folks I'm getting married. And and uh, it was uh, a, a rather quick uh, a spur of the moment arrangement almost. Um, so when I get married to Donna, uh, I actually called my mom and dad. Now I'm, I'm, uh, 50, 50 years old, 49 years old, something like that. Called my mom and dad said, meet us at Cracker Barrel. And, uh, my mom and dad are on one side of the table of four. Don and I are next to each other. I'm across from my dad and, and I'm explaining, Hey, you know, for those of you that don't know, Donna is black. Uh, caramel color, but she's black. <laughs> um, our, our, our evangelistic center church really didn't have any black people. Occasionally we had a, a family of one or two that passed through, but for the most part, it, it's a, it's a, a white people's church. Um, so when, when Donna shows up, um, and, and Don and I are together all the time, that's different. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about getting married and, you know, my mom's the church secretary. My dad's really the head elder. Uh, we're involved in everything that goes on, except nobody in my family uh, plays the piano or leads worship, basically. Um, so we're we're there, and I'm I'm explaining to my folks, hey, I understand you don't marry your in laws, and you know, blah blah blah. But the truth is, you really do. And uh, I'm trying to do it right, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, so my my mom is across table. She she moves all the stuff out of the way. She reaches across the table. She takes my wife by the hands. And she says, first off, Donna, I want you to know that I love you. And I love you like my own daughter. And tears are running down my mom's face. And because tears are running down my mom's face, tears are running down Donna's face. And, <laughs> and, and I'm, my eyes are watering, but I'm going to be a man. You're I'm not holding on, try. right? <laughs> and of course, my dad, he's not, he's not responding at all. But uh, uh, she continues on to tell my, my wife, she says, this is an incredible moment because for the first time in my son's life, he's going to have a helpmate in ministry. Mm. Now, we talked earlier about I was raised in that dynamic of responding to need, reaching out, doing things outside the church, doing things in the church. Donna, Donna was raised by some little black Pentecostal woman. Her mom, she led her mom to the Lord at 16, when she was 16 years wow. old. When Donna was 16, not her mom was 16. <laughs> That'd have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sure be four, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, sure would. Uh, so uh, uh, the, the, the little elderly women at, at her church taught her the things of God. And, and so she, she grew up in Lawton, and, and they'd go out to find the prostitutes in Lawton and minister to the prostitutes. Hmm. So, you know, Donna, Donna raised, not in a Christian home, but Donna raised with that, 
with that same mentality. It's about reaching people. It's about changing lives. And you got to get outside the walls to do that. So um, in a sense, while we both were starting over, uh, we were a match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. We are absolutely perfect for each other. And we couldn't do today what we do if if we didn't both have that same vision, that same commitment, that same passion, that same drive, that same willingness to to sacrifice everything to do what you do. Yeah, man, so. that's awesome. So <clears throat> I want to ask you about, I want to draw, like connect them, some dots here on okay. uh, Clarabelle's, um, how that started, why it started, uh, the restaurant. And and again, like I said before, it's a, uh, it's a great place, man. I oh, love man. that place. Uh, it's a, it's a destination place cause we're in McLeod. Yeah. And, uh, McLeod people by and large want a hamburger, French fries, chicken, fried steak, gravy, mashed potatoes, and a canned vegetable, typical diner food. <laughs> and, and we are not that. So, uh, that's what you want. Don't come see us. Well, come see us cause you need to come see us, but right. don't come for lunch. Um, no, uh, Donna, Donna loves uh, Donna loves to make food. Donna loves to feed people. Uh, Donna loves the dynamic of, of fellowship around the breaking of bread. Mm. Uh, how I say it is, uh, I don't, I don't work at Clarabelle's cause that's my dream. I work at Clarabelle's because I'm a great husband hmm. and I'm helping my wife's dream come to pass. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I have, I, I worked restaurant business as a teenager. I, I got burned out on it. Uh, I'm a fantastic cook. I can cook every bit as good as my wife can. Uh, hence the red cabbage. I was going to say, I'm, um, I, I'd agree. I don't know what I've had that's hers, but I know what I've had that's yours. And that's good. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, so Claire Bells exists because that's what Donna wants to do. And, and when, when you work for yourself long enough, it's difficult to go back to working for somebody else. So she wants to work for herself. She wants to serve people. Uh, she, she wants to, to, to make people happy. She wants that dynamic of, of seeing people uh, break bread and fellowship together. Uh, it just so happens that that's uh, we're not, neither one of us had a silver spoon in our mouth. Neither one of us are independently wealthy. Whatever Donna had from the mortgage business is gone uh, in the experience of doing the boys home. So uh, Clarabelle's is what puts a roof over our head. Um, Clarabelle's is what either pays for Grace United Urban Ministry or the assistance now that we've been in business four and a half years, customers come and bring donations of food or clothing or, or, you know, come, uh, they'll, they'll leave a $20 bill or a $50 bill and say, put that towards your homeless ministry. But it's, it's the opportunity that we have to interact with people and tell them what we do. So, so Clarabelle's is, Obviously through the hand of God, but Clarabelle's is, is, is our, is our income source for, for everything for us personally and for the ministry. And that's about to change and, and, and take off obviously. Uh, but that's, that's how we've done what we've done, uh, these, these 10 years that we've been doing this. That's awesome, man. I love that. So, uh, we are down to about 10 minutes left and, uh, I just want to know for you, what's your biggest goal in life, which, I mean, I, we, we see this ministry stuff, but it, when we're talking about a central message, um, that you, you would like to other people to hear. Wow. Um, you know, the church, the church name is Grace Point Church. We meet at Clarabelle's 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. 
It's Grace United Urban Ministry, so it's gum with two M's. Two U's. Uh, two two U's, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm I'm already I'm already three sentences ahead of where I'm I'm right. talking. Um uh, I referred earlier that I grew up in somewhat of a holiness oriented home. Uh I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic background, uh, which I don't regret. Uh I cherish. Yet on the other hand, uh, I have a difficulty with, with, wow, how do I say this? Um, I have a difficulty with a lot of the charismania. Um, I have a difficulty with a, with a modern charismatic church that it works at the altar during the altar call on Sunday morning, but it doesn't work outside the walls. Mm-hmm that were bold as can be at the altar and thus saith the Lord and, and all that stuff, but were timid and shy outside the walls. So if it, if it doesn't work outside the walls, what's inside the walls probably ain't as real as we think it is. Mm-hmm. Is, is that too, too harsh? I mean, no. Uh, when, when you, when, when I was in charge of ushers for many, many, many years and, and altar call ministry, and, and you knew that no matter what evangelist or what visiting preacher came through, when he gave an altar call, I knew exactly which 12 people were always going to be first to the altar. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, that when we got the sister so-and-so, whose name I can't mention, obviously, I knew that when when the evangelist was finishing praying and took his hands off the person before her, and when his first hand got to her first hand before he could ever put his second hand, so he took his, with, one, with his left hand, he would take her right hand, right, facing mm-hmm. her. Before his right hand could ever touch her head, she was going down. Mm-hmm. When you can pre-choreograph and pre-announce the altar call, Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. When the same people come for the same reasons, and we go home feeling like we had such a anointed time together, because look at all those people that were laid out. Man, that the last one didn't get up till one o'clock, mm-hmm. and yet next Sunday they're going to be back in the same line. There, there's a fooling ourselves of what's working. We're 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 playing a, a pattern. We're we're playing to an expectation that doesn't produce. And the only way I know to say it is I, I walked away from all that. Uh, I walked away to something where how I say it is I, I go downtown on, on Saturdays and Sundays and, and sometimes and more often with, with a pair of shoes and a pair of jeans and some underwear and a towel and some personal care products and, and maybe some gospel of John's and some copies of my book and a, and a handshake and a hug and a smile. And, and I give out restaurant quality meal so that I can meet a need so I can be the love of Christ in action. So I can do the will of my father. I can reveal my father's heart. But, but all of that is bait on the hook to connect in a relationship where I can learn their name, listen to their story, and figure out 
how I can speak to their pain. Mm. And I, I go outside and I meet needs to earn the right to speak into their life. And that's a whole different mode of operation than what I came out of. Now, great things happen out of what I came out of. Don't Let's not throw the baby out with the bat water. Let's not discount everything that, that goes on in Sunday morning church. But, but we need to figure out how to be a lot more real on Sunday morning. And those people who are responding need to figure out how to get some healing, get some foundation, get some stability. And they need to figure out how we're going to send them outside of the altar comfort zone into a place where they literally are the altar. They are exposing themselves. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of this challenge. Uh, You know, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do, right, to to, uh, enter heaven? And Jesus said, I mean, just keep all the commands. (laughs) He laid it out. And so if the man had said, all right, cool. I guess I'm good. He would have went on his way, but he didn't. He said, well, I've done all that. And he said, oh, okay, we'll sell everything you have and follow me. Now, what I find so interesting about that is Jesus could have started with sell everything you have (laughs) and follow me, but he didn't. And, you know, what I hear in that is the rich young ruler wanted to boast of his worthiness. What do I need to do? Oh, well, I've done all that. And I think that the thing is here that there's nothing about the call of God that is simple and easy. And we've Mm -hmm. taken our walk with the creator of the universe and we've trivialized it to a social club. Yeah. And when people really get a hold of this, I, I would venture to say that the vast majority of people who go to church aren't following God. They are doing their duty in society. Yeah. And I think that's where this disconnect comes in as far as, um, you know, if you say to somebody, hey, you can, you know, for example, if you if someone walked into your church and you say, hey, just so you guys know, the goal here is that you go and minister to people throughout the week. <laughs> and you put that up front and you basically held them accountable to it. How many would stay? Well, they're probably my wife and I and maybe three or four others. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the thing. You know, I, I, I appreciate and love your heart to this. I really do. Um, and it's, it's inspiring. And I hope those who are listening, uh, can grab a hold of that and listen, you know, walking with the father and Christianity is not for the faint of heart. It is a challenge every step of the way, but it is an absolute worthy walk. Yes, brother. Absolutely. Um, we are functionally out of time. But I want to thank you so much for being here. Oh, I've enjoyed it so much. Good, good. Well, I'll have you back for sure. And uh, you guys need to check out uh, the other podcast we'll do. I'll put it on our uh, streamgrace.com. Well, uh, yeah, I'll put it there. But it's going to be on our Facebook page, uh, Stream Grace Network. And uh, yeah, so uh, check that out. And for more podcasts like this, you can go to streamgrace.com and find all of our different shows. And yeah, that should be fun. So thanks for coming. God bless you guys. And we'll see you next time.